is episode 106 of the Meme Factory podcast. We are joined this week by Jameson Lopp. This week we are sponsored by Coddle.co. Coddle.co offers the best steel backup plates for the price in my opinion. These plates are very compact, made out of 304 steel and come with a punch. These plates are small, robust, and can withstand fire, water, corrosion, and crushing with no data loss. Check them out at Coddle.co. We are sponsored by Simply Bitcoin. This is a Bitcoin-only daily show. Check them out at youtube.com slash simplybitcoin. And finally, we are sponsored by CryptoCloaks. CryptoCloaks strives for quality products and innovative solutions for your Bitcoin signing devices and Bitcoin nodes. Check out the Yellow Edition MK4 cold card case at CryptoCloaks.com. Enjoy the show. Welcome, everybody. Welcome in. You made it to another episode of the Meme Factory podcast. This is stream test number 106. And this evening, we are joined by Jameson Lop. Jameson, say hi. Hi. So everybody can tell he's real in here. Now, yes. <laughs> Wait, let me do the KYC. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Nicely done. All right. Yeah. All right, now, uh, Jameson, for anybody who may not know who you are, could you give the elevator pitch of what you uh, do in the space? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm a nerd with a bunch of weird hobbies, and most of them for the past decade have centered around Bitcoin. And for like the past eight or nine years, I've been full-time in the space, focusing on self-custody, really uh, multi-sig self-custody for three years, doing more enterprise stuff at BitGo, helping power exchanges and, and payment processors. And then for the past five, six years, uh, slight pivots to CASA, where we're trying to make robust multi-sig self-custody easier for normies. Cool. All right. Now, uh, this is your first time on the stream. So uh, obviously you don't know all the idiosyncrasies we have to deal with here. Uh, one of which is that our sponsors require the guest to read some of the ad copy. Uh, I think RD already sent over uh, what was written up for you this evening. If you could go ahead and rip through that, we can get on with getting paid and having a good show here. Absolutely. Have you ever been out fishing, having a good time with your pals and aiming to capture a particular fish? but you've just never seemed to catch enough for everyone? Well, the good folks over at Suscorp think that you need to be more open-minded about what you catch, because at the end of the day, they want to give you the right tool to feed your friends and family. To that end, the hardworking scientists and engineers at Suscorp have developed the ultimate fishing tool. This tool is so good that it has been banned in 21 countries across the globe. The globe has banned it. You see, you can still get it today. Introducing Suscorp bait sticks. Now these brand new bait sticks are engineered to attract as many fish as possible. The patented pheromone outgassing and spraying process, or POS for short, allows the bait to attract fish from as far away as two miles. Once these fish are up close enough to see the bait stick, its patented electronic jigging action will make it look like struggling prey, thus enticing your targets even closer. Now, 
Once the bait stick has been in the water for a pre-programmed amount of time, a small, highly tuned and precise detonation occurs inside the bait stick, triggering the 70% pre-filled two pounds of high explosive and killing any fish who are tricked into coming near your line. Whammy! You can dump that whole supply of high explosive on all those fish at once. Instant dinner for the whole family. Other fishermen will hate this one trick, saying this type of violent corner cutting detracts from the beauty, splendor, and proof of work that classic sound fishing is known for and souring the whole market. But they're just salty losers. The Suscorp bait stick, bringing home the bacon or fish or whatever. <laughs> Thank you, yeah, yeah, Thank yeah, you yeah. sir. Thank Amazing. you. Amazing. We can all get paid. Well done. Well done. All right. Now I see you, have a, you have a you have a theatrical background or something. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. I have not done. You, you, yeah. you did a great job. Yeah. All right. Now, uh, because you did such a good job with that ad read, we want to make sure that you're uh, you're fed and you're feeling good. So I'm going to pass this on over to Becca, who's got your sandwich menu ready to peruse. Yes, sir, Lop, thank you for joining us this evening. I have a selection of sandwiches here for you to choose from. Our first option is the 87 percenter Sammy. So this is a high sodium mixed deli meat sandwich. It's served in a wizard bag sandwich bag. And this wizard hat sandwich bag it's going to clog up your pipes and the mempool. Our second sandwich we have is the 13 percenter Sammy. This is a scarce beef hash sandwich. It's made with free roaming beef cows fed by the sunlight, converted the energy or the energy is converted by grass. It's 100% not as toxic as running an ETH node. And our last sandwich our house special is yellows don't stop believing steak sandwich it's been marinated in red bull for 738 days what i'm the, what i'm doing with my life well the, the very important <laughs> question is is the red red bull sugar-free hmm. yeah as of lately yes yes all right. Well, then I am totally down for that. I love a nice aged uh, steak and Red Bull, but I've never tried combining the two. Excellent. We'll have that over to you shortly. Becca, yellow looks different down there. Can we get a close up of oh, what's yes. changed? <laughs> Yellow's down with the sickness. <laughs> is, it, is it my is it my uh, idea or I'm getting slimmer in real life and you make me fatter. Like. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll make you skinny next time, Yellow. He's got to put yeah, first not, before you start making skinny. <laughs> yellow with a six-pack. All right, so, Jameson, you got a... If I'm not mistaken, you were swatted recently. What is the story with that? Recently? Oh, thankfully, it feels like an eternity ago. <laughs> Yeah, that was in uh, 2017, you know, right around the the peak of the bullshittery and the scaling wars and, and all of that. And it, it people speculated that it was related to that. We actually didn't know for many years. Uh, you know, it is it is actually a, a very, very long story. Um, but yeah, basically, you know, I was 
at the gym one morning and uh, tweeted out something about it being a Monday and having a whole week of more scaling debate bullshit uh, ahead of us. And at that same time, some asshole decided that that must have meant that I was still in bed just getting out uh, and you know preparing for a day of work. Thankfully, my OPSEC was good and I was already at the gym. And so they called in uh, really a hostage situation slash bomb threat to my local law enforcement. And you know this is all available on my website, including the audio clips of the 911 calls. And they basically said all of the right words and triggered a lethal response from law enforcement to come and shut down my whole neighborhood. And I actually ran into the police blockade on my way back home from the gym and they they said hey there's an active shooter incident and they wouldn't let me in and it actually took about 20 30 minutes before we figured out that i was the active shooter that they were looking for no way so uh yeah (laughs) at that point i got uh i got hauled into the uh the mobile uh command unit that had set up a couple blocks from my house and uh, i'll never forget the first thing when um I walked up the steps in there and the the captain or lieutenant, whoever was basically on charge at the scene said, sir, do you have any enemies? And I just started nodding. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I have a pretty good idea what happened with all of this. Now, it wasn't until just a couple of years ago that I actually caught the guy. Um, it was a small oh, time year. I did, yeah. Um, it really, what happened was- unfortunately it was a lot more complicated than what people thought um so yeah yellow for the explain how you thought the guy because he has a a poop bag (laughs) yeah yeah so (laughs) for for the year after that happened i basically learned a lot about privacy and I, i basically tore down my entire life i burned it down i moved i set up new vehicles new house everything uh, underneath like trusts and LLCs, basically. So my name is no longer on anything that can be tied to a physical location. And I was doing that in preparation for the next step, which was uh, I put a $100,000 bounty on the motherfucker. And I said, I, I will not tolerate violence or threats of violence against myself and my family. And that kicked off a multi-year thing of tips starting to trickle in. And, and then of me discovering how difficult it is to actually get in touch with law enforcement to help try to prosecute a case because generally law enforcement uh, and the justice system they decide what they want to prosecute Um, if it's a situation where there's no imminent threat to life or danger or whatever uh, such as my incident where that was long over and it seemed like there was no more threat they didn't really care And so I had to spend a lot of my own time and money and hire private investigators and find the right lawyers even. It's very hard to find a lawyer who will help you prosecute a case. Usually the prosecutors are all government attorneys and the government is telling them what to do. Um, And all of the private lawyers are defense attorneys. Um, So thankfully I I eventually found a former federal prosecutor who had some connections. Um, I'm then, was lucky and made some other connections to eventually get in contact with the right cybercrime unit at the FBI. 
and I started handing them all of the information that I had collected. And then I didn't hear from them for a couple of years and the pandemic happened and I figured, okay, well, that's the end of that. Um, and then it was sometime, I want to say late 2020, early 2021, I get a call from my attorney and they're basically like, Hey, the FBI found the guy and, you know, went to his house and they're, they talked to him and he admitted it. Uh, but the federal district attorney is declining to prosecute because he was only 15 years old at the time. And apparently there is oh. no federal like juvenile justice system. So I was like, oh, great, all of this for nothing. Um, but then another month or two went by and we, uh, we, we discovered that the state district was attorney. It, was it Jack Mallers? <laughs> <laughs> he's, the only, he, he's, the, he's the only one that like, <laughs> could be that young back then. <laughs> but uh, no, we discovered, thankfully, the state uh, district attorney was interested in prosecuting. And so I ended up flying across the country and going, I was, I was a witness. Um, the, the case was pretty open and shut because, you know, he, he pled guilty. Um, but according to what he said in court, um, he didn't even know who I was. And he was basically like, if I knew who you are, I wouldn't have fucked with you. Uh, he was just in the wrong crowd of, of teenagers that were like sim swapping and extorting people. And his particular skill set was swatting people. So I think that he had actually swatted a lot of people. I was just the first one who did something about it. How much and, skill uh, does it take to SWAT someone, though? It's just you just uh, make a well, phone call, right? In order to get away with it, you have to at least be good enough to set up a, you know, a, like a virtual server and a VoIP uh, system and, and do it in such a way that there's no, you know, financial trail that can be uh, you know, tied back to you. And so he was good enough at doing that. So basically... You know, when my local law enforcement looked into it, they traced the call back to like a server in Texas or something. And then that's where the trail went cold. Like there was nowhere else that they could go. Uh, so it wasn't until I basically put a bounty on his head. And what happened was his little cohorts, his friends, quote unquote friends, like the people in his little teenage cybercrime group were like, oh, $100,000. That sounds good to me. Um, and a uh, short version is I actually, I kind of felt sorry for the kid. Like, um, you know, I, I saw a little bit of myself in him. Like I fucked up when I was a kid, I did stupid shit and uh, didn't really understand what all of the consequences would be. And I think he didn't understand the sort of lethality of what he was potentially doing back then. So he, um, you know, he, he got kind of a slap on the wrist. He, he was basically this uh, you know, kid, you know, living in his mother's basement, like high school dropout, didn't have like any good prospects, really. And so the, the, the kind of the terms the court set were like, you need to get your GED, get a job, get a driver's license, all this other stuff. So uh, I, I at the end of it, I shook his hand. I was like, look, you know, no hard feelings, but you came at me. I had to come at you and I hope that you turn your life around and I expect I'll, I'll never hear from him again, but I, I do hope that he does uh, end up being better because he has the skills to, to use those, those things for good. Um, yeah, especially a, for 15 year, right? Like yeah, I mean, this is the story of like a lot of hackers are kind of like teenage. Yeah, maybe he becomes like a white hacker, yeah. Yeah. 
that was racist. What do you mean? So yeah, it, it wasn't, it wasn't fulfilling. Like I had hoped it would have been an adult and I could have gone in there and be like, I want this guy to, you know, spend years in prison and whatever. But, um, you know, when I saw who it was and the situation, I was like, I don't think that, you know, uh, prison or, or any harsh punishment is going to help anybody here. Nice. He's probably making memes now. Yeah. Or do you, was it you? And that's how we orange build the next Wonders. <laughs> All right. So talking about cybercrime, let's talk about ordinals. No. <laughs> we have to? We don't have to, but I, I can't figure out if Jameson here is a uh, pro or con on this subject based on his, uh, his Twitter history. It's uh, all well, you never know about that. Place. Like they have like a, a, a page with like, it's called like friends of something and Zuko is inside Z Giacomo is inside, but he's not like supporting the, the I know. project. I know <laughs> people are in that page that they really don't support it. So we really don't know, uh, where is, where is everybody? Oh, I, I support it insofar as that it triggers people. Um, so there's there's a couple you know, different ways that I think people look at using Bitcoin. And some people are like, look, if it's not like a direct monetary use case, then you're polluting the blockchain and I don't like what you're doing. And I'm a technologist, right? So I, I see Bitcoin as more than just money. Like it does have a programming language. It is a database. It's the shittiest database I've ever seen in my entire career from like a performance standpoint, but it is a database. Like you can store data in there and you can decide how you want to interpret it and, and read it back and whatever. And so, you know, I think that, uh, inscriptions and things that are really, really data heavy are generally retarded. Um, they're not gonna, they're not gonna survive and last a long time because of the economics. Is that the technical um, term generally retarded? Pretty much, uh, like economically retarded. It's just there, the, there's a mismatch between the value and the cost. And it might make sense, you know, when there's like one sat per byte, uh, fees because nobody else wants to use the blockchain. But I think that, you know, spending like hundreds of sats per byte and spending tens of thousands of dollars to, to put stuff on the blockchain. I mean, that that just means that you're only going to be able to sustain that if whatever you're doing actually has that level of value. And I mean, I, I see no reason to believe that the cycle that we saw with NFTs a few years ago isn't going to repeat itself in Bitcoin. You know, there's it's going to be a hype cycle like anything else. Maybe a few of them end up sticking around. And if they do, then it would only be the like million dollar NFTs that people are willing to pay you know, thousands of dollars. I feel for. like you don't believe your own statement there. I don't, I, none of these are going to be holding any value. I think, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, it's going to be a height cycle. I think we're going to see bullshit again. I think we're going to see NFTs. I think the reason people are paying these fees to put their inscriptions in right now is because they're essentially front running what they're going to, what they think they're going to make and selling to an unwitting populace. Would you agree with what that is? Yeah. I mean, it is, it's in the early speculative phase. Uh, you know, I don't know a ton about the different NFTs. Obviously I've, I've heard of like the, the crypto punks and the apes and, you know, watch some of the hilarious Yuga labs, uh, screw ups over the past few years. 
somehow i'm not entirely sure how but you know even those fucking rocks are, are selling for a hundred thousand dollars again uh i again i think <laughs> oh my yeah God. yeah i saw like i think one sold for a hundred thousand dollars in the past week or two um and you never really know why that is i mean my understanding is like the the fine art trade itself has a lot of sort of wash trading and money laundering and stuff you know it, and it's yeah just i'm, I'm not mark. I'm not an art connoisseur, so like I don't understand why anybody would ever pay more than maybe a few hundred dollars for something that looks pretty. But here's how it works, Jameson. You are a billionaire. You hire some starving artist for two thousand dollars to make you a painting. They create the mm. painting. You get your buddy, who is also a billionaire, to appraise the painting. They appraise the painting at twenty million dollars, and it sells at auction for thirty million dollars, and you get a thirty million free money. Right off on your taxes. It's the same. Or, it's the same shit that's happening. In or if you're beat, or if you're beat boy, you do it yourself and you get caught. Well, you also don't get to keep any of the money because it all went up your nose. Yes. <laughs> Other than ordinal tension, what uh, what project uh, project around Bitcoin or not? MME it can be another open source kind of project. Uh, you're excited. We say he's been working with AI. I was curious about that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I have. I've been playing with AI because I feel like it's going to be applicable to many different things. Um, I I use AI on a almost a daily basis, but um, you know, one of the things that I did early on was uh, I went through and I transcribed you know, every interview and every presentation that I've ever done over the past decade. And oh, part nice. of that is just because like I'm, I'm an archival nerd. Um, part of it is I wanted to be able to better search through my own stuff. So now like I've got all that stuff on my website, it's all getting indexed. Maybe it's good for SEO. It's definitely good for me when I want to go back and find something uh, that I vaguely remember talking about a long time ago. And then um, just a, a week or two ago, uh, now there's Lopbot. Uh, or, or LOP AI, um, courtesy of Delphi. And this was actually kind of a culmination of like all of the other AI stuff I had been doing is I was approached by this uh, company and they basically said, you know, we can train an AI to be you and we just need the data. And I said, lucky for you, I have gigabytes of data that are all me because, you know, I'm an archival nerd. And so I gave them all of these transcripts and stuff. And, you know, a couple of days later, they uh, came right back at me. And now you can go talk to, you know, my persona. And what kind I of, what it, kind of data? You really said transcripts. Good. What are you, what are you talking about? Uh, so I gave them every article and essay I've ever written. I gave them transcripts of every presentation I've ever given at conferences, of every interview and podcast I've ever done. So it was like 200 to 300,000 words that I have ever written and spoken. And I didn't know if this would be enough, but just from interacting with it and from other people showing me the questions they asked, I'm like, this is eerily similar. Um, and so, you know, I'm. this makes me hopeful because I can see a lot of promise for what AI can do. Um, obviously from both the, the terrible side of things like authoritarian stuff, but also from the empowerment side. And I care more about, you know, empowering people. Um, it, it looks like we are 
already on the cusp of, of we should be able to essentially run LLMs in a, a beefy smartphone. I think that will be very important to have sort of sovereign AI. And really what I want to see, uh, there's a lot of things I want to see, but I think one thing that's going to be very important is that we're going to need to have AI agents running on our behalf to deal with all of the bullshit that gets thrown at us. You know, the world's already a crazy place. We've got information overload, so much bullshit getting thrown at us uh, all day long. That's like too much to process. I want a firewall. I want a, you know, a digital Jameson AI firewall that will catch as much of that bullshit as possible and only give me the, the signal, you know, filter out the noise. So you did that recently in Lugano uh, speech, I think, about how Finney and how he's not uh, Satoshi Nakamoto. Mm -hmm. How do you feel uh, combined with the uh, the power of AI, like in the near future, every one of us having like a model there up in the cloud, combined with the AI uh, power and stelometry, we're going to have that answer very, very soon. Do you feel that yeah, I mean, it's a possible thing to to happen? Yeah, you know, it's kind of like how uh, even with cryptography over a long enough time frame, data tends to get leaked and cracked. Uh, it's kind of scary to think about, you know, what will happen in the future. This, I think I've I've said something to the extent before of where the world is right now is we have this proliferation of data and we still don't really know what the hell to do with it. There are a few big companies out there like the Googles and Facebooks and stuff that are pretty good at processing it. But I believe that, for example, if, if like a Kardashev level two civilization came in and they they basically you know connected their computers to our internet and sucked up all of the data that humanity has ever generated they would be able to understand humanity far better than we understand ourselves because it's like it's a data processing problem we have the data we have the storage we have not really been able to process it very well and then of course that has pros and cons uh, and, and as you've said uh, it, we at least still have a little bit of privacy in in the uh, the fact that we're we're kind of little small amounts of data in this huge pool that's very hard to sift through. Do you think there is enough data out there from Satoshi that a model can be created and compared with other models from other people? Uh, you know, just from writing analysis, I would be skeptical. Um, it's a good question, though. I'm not sure like how many words we have that were ever written by Satoshi. Like if, if that how how that compares to the like couple hundred thousand words that I trained my model on. Yeah. But um, you know, the one thing that I'm hopeful about with with regard to Satoshi preserving their anonymity is that they left before the heat really got turned up. So you know, in in some of my own research. I'm somewhat hopeful that, you know, a lot of those trails have gone cold and a lot of that data has been lost just because it was so long ago before people were even looking to archive it. You don't think the, uh, the NSA was running the prison program or anything at that point in time? Mm -hmm. 
Uh, well, as far as we know, they they were collecting a ton of data. Are have they tried to use it to find Satoshi? Who knows? Or they, they or never they know the friends. Do they already know who your data? And they were collecting the friends' data, and they were like, <laughs> "I just hope that we never find out." Uh, yeah, kind of the, me too. the, the my whole point from that is that it's not going to be good for anybody if if Satoshi is a a man instead of an idea. That's for sure. Yeah. I mean, if it was Dorian Nakamoto, I wouldn't be too upset. <laughs> But yeah, uh, Lugano was was interesting. Uh, it was pretty cool getting to hang out with Phil Zimmerman. Uh, he has a lot of, of interesting stories. And um, well, you know, Lugano is actually how I ended up here. Uh, usually people just contact me through my websites and they're like, hey, do you want to come on my stupid podcast? And I'm like, I've never heard of you, but sure. And uh and then I was walking around Lugano and some like leprechaun looking motherfucker jumps in my face mm -hmm. and he's my memes, my lucky memes. You stole me lucky memes. You must come and join the factory podcast to pay penalty for your transgressions. And I was like, what the fuck? Okay. As far as I understand it, it was, uh, you locked off me watermark or something. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> Not too well. <laughs> <laughs> and not only that, like the guy watermarks also. So I don't know why you were complaining, man. Who do you think is complaining? Are they watermarks are misunderstood? <laughs> oh, you are okay. All uh, all true artists are so. Which is why we understand him completely. Good artist copy, great artist steal, next generation artists plug your meme into an AI engine to slightly tweak it so that it looks just different enough that it might be unique. Exactly. All right. So and that's why I, I put the yellow puppet in everything. I don't steal it like that. <laughs> Flat Eric might be able to steer. <laughs> All right. So speaking about uh, unique uh one of the things we have to worry about as Bitcoiners is our unique addresses being monitored, essentially. Uh, and you've said something to the effect of uh, coin mixing not being enough to obscure transactions. I was wondering if you can elaborate on that a little bit. So the short version of why I don't go around and tell everybody to mix their coins is because it's still it's still easy to shoot yourself in the foot. Um, I think a lot of people kind of look at it as a magic black box of, oh, I take my coins, I put them in the mixer, I mix them, and then I do whatever I want with them. And, you know, unfortunately, it's not quite that simple. I, I generally only advocate coin mixing as you are going to make a transaction. So... You know, if you were going to send a payment to someone, obviously you don't want them to easily just be able to look on a block explorer and click back once and, and you know, see your entire wallet. So in, in the case that you are making a payment to someone and you're not able to do it where you're really like fully spending the UTXOs and not you know, sending change back. Uh, if, you, if you're not a, an Uber blockchain nerd, then just send 
those funds through the mixer and send them directly from the mixer to whoever you want to pay. And so then if you know they want to look on a blockage board and see what's going on, they're just going to see a whole mess of inputs and outputs. Other than that, you know, it also gets tricky because if you're dealing with centralized exchanges, then you might shoot yourself in the foot and get yourself banned from the exchanges uh, if you're too close, uh, you know, not enough hops away. And I think we, we saw that like even with like Swan the past week or so basically saying, look, uh, our hands are tied. Uh, we're using partners and our partners have told us that if they detect this stuff, then they're going to shut down your account. So that's unfortunately the state of things. And uh, I don't know how you feel about privacy coins, but uh, you know, I think there is a pretty good use case for Monero. Um, I've I've said for a number of years that if you really need strong privacy, then you should probably just use Monero to make the transaction because you just use the software and you don't have to worry about any sort of intricacies of what's going in and out under the hood. Now, in, in Monero start, has uh, not been it has not been start, a good investment. <laughs> instant instant uh, atomic swaps back and forth, you mean? Uh, yeah, so atomic swaps are possible. Uh, once again, exactly or, how... Or, how or did you out? mean like a, a using a centralized entity to buy and sell and back and forth? So uh, You could do either. So, I mean, I think one of the big like Bitcoin Monero atomic swap companies went out of business and shut down recently. I'm not sure how many others are, are going on. I mean... I I think it's fine to just go on to Kraken or whatever and buy some Monero and take it off to self custody and just you know that's your your private transacting pool for whatever you want to do. You know everybody has different use cases, um, but uh, unfortunately my investments in privacy coins have not done very well over the years. So I would not suggest holding <laughs> for really long term more of a sort of in and out type of operation. Talking about green, is Mimble Wimble going to come to Bitcoin any day in the future, you think, or no? Well, it came to Litecoin. Um, yeah, but I, I don't, well, <laughs> everything goes hey, to hey, Litecoin. Yes, Lite, Litecoin got Segwit for Bitcoin. Uh, yeah. But no, you know, I haven't heard really even much about, I've heard a little bit people talking about extension blocks and, and Mimblewimble on, on Litecoin, but you know, unfortunately, you know, this is one of my pessimistic sides of the space is that uh, not enough people care about privacy. So like, it's, it's hard, it's hard to even keep these privacy projects going uh, from a variety of different standpoints, because not many people care about them. And if not many people care about them, then there's not going to be much funding you know, flowing into these projects. Well, you, you, uh, um, that's, you know, uh, a subject that uh, at least I am uh, very passionate lately, and that is lately. I don't know how uh, active you are on Twitter, but lately, Turkish culture. All all the content is about macro, like any other <laughs> aspect of Bitcoin, has become like pretty much nothing. They don't talk about it. Everyone is pushing the macro stuff. Everybody is making mac macro content. All the spaces and the podcasts are about that, and it's getting really, really annoying. And 
I feel if I feel uh, us here and a few others like the ten guys are pushing back, and those companies that are pushing that kind of content. But like, do do you think that people have uh, found their NGU narrative for the next cycle, and they don't mm-hmm. want to ruin that? By... Hey, I uh, I saw a Plan B chart circulating around in the past week. You know, <laughs> uh, I think stock to flow might be coming back. It might be about time. I think we bounced off the bottom of that channel, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, was anybody? Uh, has Eric Wall posted any rainbow charts uh, recently? Still <laughs> oh, <laughs> still unbroken. What? Still unbroken that model. Nice. Yeah, but how do you feel about? Uh, I don't know if you if you have noticed it. Uh, I don't know how active you are on Twitter. Well, I mean, I, I saw some some memes of macro, macro, macro. That's macro. my. <laughs> but uh, that, that, you know, that was I, I don't, I don't, I don't even have time to watch podcasts. I barely have time to go on podcasts. Uh, so you know, everybody has their own niche. Uh, you know, I don't know. I. I'm not an investor and I, I never really try to get people to invest because of some condition other than the fact that fiat is going to zero. And I think this, this should be like fucking obvious, like every fiat goes to zero. It's just the question of over what time frame. So I, I don't have time to look at all of these 500 different variables of what's going on in the economy yeah. and what levers the Fed is pulling or like how the Treasury is hiding their latest bailout plan so that it doesn't actually look like quantitative easing. And uh, At the same you know, time, you are running a business on the space. Yeah. So how do you manage that? Well, you know, we, CASA is not a financial advisor. Uh, We go after the people who already made their financial decisions and are looking for security. And, you know, this this does upset some people because uh, there's a wide variety of of people out there who have diverse profiles and diverse needs. So we listen to what really our sales and marketing teams are telling us of like, you know, where, where is the money? We, you know, we're not trying to like pull money into any You're listening to your Bitcoin or, or crypto or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So like we, so, we want to find the people who have a lot to lose because um, unlike most wallets, you know, we don't harvest your personal information and sell it and try to advertise to you. Like we actually charge money for the service that we provide. So it's a lot harder to get people to pay, you know, for privacy or to pay for security. Um, the only people who are going to pay for security are the ones who have a ton to lose. So, you know, the short version is, you know, we're, we're looking for the whales. We're looking for the people who are basically all in, um, and they, they need to have that, that high upfront security because if they suffer a loss, then, you know, it'll, be catastrophic and something that will probably haunt them for the rest of their life. Yeah. Interesting question. Question. Um, this is actually from um, a friend of mine. I don't know if you've been paying attention to this, the stuff going on with Swan uh, with logos floating around and you just kind of hit on your, uh, your marketing team that's kind of advising you. And just curious if you think, if you think there's any like 
plausible, you know, information out there that uh, that a company in the Bitcoin space could be hiding cult or cryptic messaging in their logos. Or I'm just curious <laughs> about y'all's logo and who advised y'all to to go with that particular design. Oh well, that we had one particular designer who came up with I think half a dozen different designs and. Uh, we went through multiple phases of you know vetting the different designs and, and uh let's see we you know there there's some iconography and and sort of hidden messages in actually both our old logo and our current logo the the problem with the old logo was that it looked way too similar to coinbase's logo as just sort of a c um one of the sort of hidden pieces of the iconography with the original logo, which I'm not sure if people uh, picked up on, is that it's actually a keyhole. Uh, if if you take the, the logo and you rotate it 90 yeah, degrees to the right, it's actually uh, the, the CASA uh, is a keyhole. So, you know, that's the sort of security inference there. Now, the new logo, the idea is, you know, it's a home, aka CASA. Uh, and it is got the what what do we call like the, the basically pentaveret the, the the five the five points within the logo are actually a representation of the key shield that is in our app when you have a five key setup uh, we had this uh, pentaveret in the app for a long time to uh, make it easy to interact with your different keys so you know. The, those are kind of the, like the hidden meetings of the iconography. I, now, I hear you on that. I hear you on that to cut you off. I hear you on that. I'm just curious why, uh, you know, that, that, that swirling symbol is, is very well known. It's on the FBI, you know, a lot of government websites about what the association was of that. And I'm just curious what kind of marketing team would advise to use that. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to try to like Someone. pin you down Someone and make you answer fired. this question, but, but that's, it's just weird. No, no, no. I get it. No, after after it came out and people were like, oh, this is well known to be like pedophilia related. And I'm like, well, I'm sorry, but we didn't have anybody who was familiar with pedophilia iconography on our team. Um, I mean, maybe next time we'll try to hire some people who know more about pedophilia so that we can avoid that. But, uh, you know, that, that was that was that was a big miss on my part. Speaking of which, you've uh, you've instituted some Fair. diversity hiring policies. So have you have you gotten more on the team? Uh, so we, we do not have, you know, diversity hiring policies, though. I do recall that some people got upset uh, a couple of years ago about a program where, where we were sponsoring a, um, what do you mean you people? Sean, you know exactly what I mean, you people, and it's racist. <laughs> yeah, we, we, uh, there were certainly some people who, who got upset with, uh, it was like a program where we had, a uh, I think it was a seat at the unchained space in Texas or something. But um, obviously that didn't go over very well either. We all have our issues to deal with. <laughs> so uh, Jameson, you also said recently, and I've had this conversation with a few people that Bitcoin layer one is not complete. And I don't, I don't fully grasp that argument, and I thought maybe you'd have some better insights as to why somebody might say that the Bitcoin layer one is incomplete. Uh, 
Well, it depends on exactly what you want Bitcoin to be, right? And whenever you start having this conversation, that's when the the knives come out of, of you know, what is Bitcoin? Um, we're we're that, all plebs, so the answer here is like more decentralization or privacy, so. Yeah, though, even the privacy thing is contentious, right? So, uh, you know, a lot of people don't care about privacy and then, you know, trying to implement really strong privacy on Bitcoin uh, actually creates problems. Uh, you, you end up with um, conflict trying to balance all of the quote unquote inviolable properties of Bitcoin. We can never have extremely strong privacy on Bitcoin because it would probably uh, violate the ability to audit uh, the entire supply. So as, as much as I would love to have, you know, like sort of Monero or, or even like, you know, zero knowledge level privacy on, on the base chain, that's probably not going to happen. But, you know, I do expect we will see some second layers that have that. So what is Bitcoin missing? Um, I mean, the, the thing that I think that is missing the most is the, the holy grail that was promised to us in 2014, which is the permissionless two-way pegging mechanism. And the reason why I think that's important is that if we want to be able to have permissionless innovation, if we want people to be able to, to scale Bitcoin by creating other networks that are directly pegged to it, then they need to be able to do that you know, without oh, having to oh, change the protocol. Where the fuck is this gong coming from? <laughs> <laughs> I've been hearing it the whole episode. Who's gonging this shit? What is that? Beck, what is that? Is that you, Becca? Do you have a fucking no, gong? I don't have a gong. <laughs> I wish. I don't, I don't hear any gongs. It's I heard him say something about pegging, though, it. and your, I did hear the two your, your face lit up, Greg. Well, that was a phrasing joke right there. I mean, I, I was letting him run before we made any pegging. It looked jokes. like you just saw Santa Claus. I did. It was like a present in yeah. the middle of the stream. <laughs> it was great. All right. Seriously, what the fuck's up with the gong? It's all in your head. Fair enough. All right, so oh. we're not going to see privacy because of the auditing function, but you want to see the privacy? I, I... Oh, I mean, I would like to see privacy, but I've already given up on that. I don't think that's going to happen. I, uh, I want to see more scaling. I, I want to see at least enough functionality that uh, people have more of these sort of basic building blocks and primitives that they can go off and do whatever the hell they want without us having to continue uh arguing about you know changing opcodes and doing soft forks because it seems like a lot of people are pretty tired of that then i mean there is also long-term scaling questions around uh, should we desire bitcoin to be able to have a billion people doing self-custody right now that would be problematic um I mostly look at Bitcoin these days as a uh, cryptographic accumulator, which means that, like, like I said, it's a database, uh, but we need to use it as efficiently as possible. We need to enable you know, basic building blocks for people to go do all the crazy high volume or, or uh, riskier, uh, you know, turn complete shit on other networks, but still have it tied to Bitcoin. And, um, Right now, it's it's you know it's not clear how this is all gonna turn out. Um, I do also somewhat worry about you know what happens to the protocol if it ossifies 
and then we go decades where everything's good and then something goes wrong and there's literally no bitcoin developers around who have ever you know conducted a fork so it's more like you know generational thinking of like how how do we keep the system going because as robust as bitcoin is it still needs to be maintained you know software that is not maintained inevitably gets worse and gets fragile and breaks uh this is this is something that i'll probably post a really long boring nerdy thesis about in a year or two but um it's something that i i really started appreciating a lot more when i started doing one of my projects a couple of years ago where i tried to go back and built and ran every version of bitcoin core that i could and i was able to go all the way back to i think version 0.3.6 but it started getting really hard and you had to start you know, building the software in like really old virtual machines on old operating systems. And the short version is like software development and software engineering as it is today. Uh, we stand upon the shoulders of giants. It's amazing the, the leverage that we have as programmers in that uh, there are so many other programmers out there who have built a lot of these basic building blocks that you just say, oh, I want to pull in this dependency and that dependency. And I, I have a lot of functionality that I can use with just like calling a single function without having to actually write all of the underlying logic. Um, but all of these dependencies, they're fucking trusted third parties. And, and that means they can break and they do break. And, and sometimes in adversarial conditions, uh, they actually get taken over by malicious entities that inject malicious uh, uh, code into your dependencies. But even aside from that, since I'm mostly just focusing on the fragility issue, it's that these dependencies, uh, they're all very rigid and like, um, you know, this software library requires uh, versions between this range of this software library and that software library only works with versions of this range and and once you start to get to the point where you have complex software that has like hundreds if not thousands of dependencies uh, as as all of those underlying dependencies and their libraries are worked on over time and those versions keep changing the compatibility keeps changing it just becomes a fucking shit show to keep everything still working uh, because and this all kind of comes back around to the ossification issue is that you can ossify software like you can ossify a protocol you cannot ossify the rest of the world and that's when problems can arise talking about uh, devs and code my uh question always and i was always wondering why uh the if camp is more su successful on onboarding new uh, minds in coding and uh, in uh, versus the Bitcoin Maxi side. And do you think it just like has to do with incentives? And if that's so, can we do anything about it? Can we have an automated kind of tool made that gives them incentives for coding as miners get their incentives for validating the next block i mean i think a lot of it is around tooling and and really the capabilities um it seems to me like a lot of the people that that 
I'm into building like EVM related stuff. They're usually more like web developers. They're, you know, they're coming in from more you know, traditional, easy, like user interface uh, and design uh, type stuff. Yeah. Uh, and so like the, the tooling that has been developed around Ethereum and you know, like Solidity is a pretty easy language to, to read and write. Not to, to write securely, but it's easy to read and write <laughs> to get like the happy case uh, working. Um, you know, that's what brings in the developer It's probably the same thing with Solana. I don't really know enough about them, but that seems to be like what they focused on. Right. Um, and, you know, for Bitcoin, well, also, you know, Bitcoin's a UTXO model. So the account based stuff that that in and of itself, like simplifies a lot of just sort of dealing with a, the logical idea of a wallet. Um, but no, it seems like most of the Bitcoin stuff and, and even the tooling, it's just uh, it's more hardcore uh, It's you know, higher learning curve. Like you have to be more dedicated. It's generally not something that someone sort of jumps in as a weekend project and they're like, oh, look, I you know, have this new proof of concept, uh, you know, especially once you start getting to like layer two stuff, for example. So, yeah, I, I don't have uh, a great solution for it i mean we can we can look at other stuff though i mean you could you could look at rootstock uh you know rootstock is it's it's a it's a bitcoin you know merged mine sidechain but it also has evm compatibility and you can actually use pretty much all of the evm tools on rootstock why isn't rootstock doing amazingly well uh, you know there's a lot of different uh variables going on there and you know at least some of it i'm sure has to do with marketing which is certainly not my forte. Uh, marketing and that's always the marketing <laughs> well you've been super generous with your time this evening jameson we're getting to the end of our time and i want to make sure we've got time for uh Artie. he had a special question he formulated for you this evening i want to make sure we get to it before uh before he runs out of breath here he's been talking so much uh, thanks for coming on, Jameson, uh, and being a good sport. Um, this is my question. If the meme factory did exist, and we all know that it doesn't, which one of us would you like? Which one of us would you retweet? Which one of us would you mute? And which one of us would you zap? Ooh, uh... I would like Greg because he he has some good questions. You know, he he seems to be running the show. Uh, you know, you hear that, everybody? I, I haven't. Oh, <laughs> I haven't Greg's running the show. That's scary. Yeah, <laughs> I haven't even had the good explains, opportunity. Explains to, the quality. Haven't even had had a good uh, chance to say fuck you, Greg, today. So um, <laughs> well, maybe next time. Um, I would I would retweet R R D to appease your meme butt hurt. Uh, I would, you, I'd probably have to mute yellow because I, I can't even understand what the hell he's saying most of the time. Um, you know, that's, yeah, but he makes my macro, macro, macro <laughs> me, man. That was good. That was good. Yeah. Just stick to one word, uh, and maybe, okay. maybe we'll keep it legible. And then, um, I would definitely zap Becca because she's eating for two and, uh, she's the only one doing any actual work on this shit show, making the sandwiches. Well, she's not the only one eating for two. Okay. <laughs> rope, rope you really missed an opportunity on that one what yeah. exactly 
All right, and um, <laughs> yes. want to pass it along to uh, to show. Did we get everybody? Did we get a mute, a like, a retweet, and is that? All right, cool. Yes. Yeah, uh, yeah. Sean. Sean's turn. Here we go, Jameson. Do you know what happens at block height eight hundred and forty thousand? Uh, well, I've heard that you're having a party. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. It is the having party. Have you ever been to a having party before? You've been around a while. Uh, you know, I don't think I have. You've never been to a having party. That is a miss because there are only about 30 some odd havings that will ever exist in the history of the world. And uh, we are beginning to start to enjoy them and celebrate them. And we're having a having party this April 3rd through the 5th down in El Salvador. Come on down. It's going to be awesome. Have you been down to El Salvador yet? I have indeed. I was there, I think, a couple of years ago for the BitConf. I got the uh, the presidential treatment too. Ooh. Got a got a full bodyguard escort and everything. Oh wow! Wow. Was uh was it was it Greg? Was that your bodyguard down there? <laughs> you know, it was actually it was pretty tricky because um, they did not speak a word of English, so we had to translate everything through WhatsApp. Oh yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, that is true. There's not much English that's spoken down there. So so if you're going to come down, you got to learn Spanish, which uh, is easier for some and it's hard for others. But uh, but come on down. Having party 2024. This is the first of many having parties that we will be throwing. And uh, you don't want to miss the first because there's going to be a lot more, but only a limited amount, just like Bitcoin. No, I'm taking the approach that enough people down there will be able to speak Spanish. They'll be able to relay what I'm trying to come get across. Yeah, you just gotta know like baño, right? That's that's a good one to know. Yeah, baño, potato. What, what's Spanish for potato? Mucho hambre. Mucho hambre. That's right. I'm very hungry. That's very hungry, Greg. <laughs> Thank you. The H is silent. Rope. Come on. Hambre. Come on, man. All right, so, my yeah. joke here. Come on, Sean. hambre. Jameson, I'd be remiss if I didn't give you an opportunity to uh, to show any product services or uh, or links you want to send out. Anything you've got listed on Twitter will be in the show notes this evening. And if you mention Ethereum, I'll kidding. Haha. <laughs> well, uh, we have plenty of Bitcoin pages on casa.io, C-A-S-A.io. You can learn all about our offerings there. Even got inheritance planning for those of you who are planning on dying soon. Um, other than that, you know, Bitcoin.page for my educational resources. And, uh, I have a million different ways of contacting me on my website, but, uh, I, I highly recommend that you just pay me in Bitcoin through my paid contact form. All right. Thank you, Jameson. And we want to say thank you for everybody for joining us this evening. We really appreciate you taking time out of your day to spend it with us. Much of, uh, regards. You bet. So everybody be safe. Have a good night.